Hey everyone, welcome to the Tailored Tech Talk podcast, a weekly look into the world of DevOps and tailored software solutions. We're your hosts, Ben Hayden and Chris Reynolds, and this week we'll be talking all about data. The warehouses, the lakes, the pipelines, all sorts of good stuff in here. Uh, we have transformed uh, data into actionable insights uh, with a vi- variety of different tools and systems, and we're going to pick a couple to do a deep dive on and just uh, walk through some different terms that you might have heard and um, kind of go through what uh, the certain experience has been around data. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Well, one one thing that I think we, we need to deal with right now is, is it data or data? I feel like that's a Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I think I say it data. I think I say database and I say data. So yeah. I don't know. I'm, well, I'm an enigma. We'll, we'll be flipping back and forth between pronunciations, <laughs> I think. But, uh, uh, we, we, uh, you haven't been in Boston enough uh, to do data yet. I'll, <laughs> no. <I'll, laughs> data warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I, this is a topic I really like. I've been doing uh, data stuff for years and years and years. And... Um, and it's been fun just like watching the evolution of what's available, what, what all you can do, um, things that I wish would have been available many years ago uh, that are available right. now. And a lot of ways to do this considerably uh, cheaper than it used to be. Uh, we've built a fair number of data warehouses and data lakes uh, for different customers. And I feel like it's a good topic to just talk about broadly so that people sort of understand what, what it means. Actually, right now, we have a, a customer who is in the real estate space, um, and part of what they were needing help with was they have a data warehouse that uses Amazon Redshift, um, and, and we'll talk about the difference between a data warehouse and a data lake, but uh, this data warehouse, one of the problems that I see a lot, uh, fairly consistently, is when people are extracting data out of the data source and putting it into a data warehouse or a data lake, they have a hard time, once they're applying transforms, they have a hard time with the schema changing. So schema changes right. on the source database seem to throw people for a loop. And so we can kind of talk about how we've solved some of those problems. But first, before we get into that and, and just uh, speaking generically about data warehouses and data lakes, let's talk about what is that? What what is that stuff? <laughs> what is a data warehouse? <laughs> what is what is a data? It's very they are very fun names, but why are they different? Yeah, why are they different? And what generic? And what are they? What's the same about them? I feel like right. it's That's also good. helpful yeah. to think about that. So so let's start with like what's the same? Um, and I would say data warehouses and data lakes are both data systems. Um, so we can just say generically, data systems would cover data warehouses and data lakes. Uh, any data system sort of does the same thing. It it goes it, there is there is some tooling that will go out and extract data out of your sources. Data. This customer, uh, for example, has an uh, they're a SaaS company, and they have a uh, they've got like a like a SaaS product that they built, and that database uses they use a Postgres source database, um, and so the Postgres database uh, has all the application stuff happening in real time, right? So there's constant changes that are occurring. Rule number one is that usually applications don't store data to be hyper-efficient for the purposes of pulling data out, reporting or dashboarding, sort of the way that we think about that. So reporting and dashboarding are 
you know, critical for management functions, especially, right? Like it's right. when you're a manager, it's the only thing Bus- you're like, like wow. business intelligence, right? Right. Sort of thing. But when you build an application, the point of the application is to be fast. The application needs to quickly um, store the data. It needs to be very user friendly for the user and uh, storing that data in a way that is immediately reportable is not a primary concern. So for a very, very long time, there's been this idea that you could extract the data out of the source application database or databases, if there are multiples and frequently are, and then put them into another location. Okay, so that's data systems in general, data warehouses and data lakes do that. Um, and let's talk about source data just for a second. So application databases, Postgres, uh, MySQL, Aurora, uh, you know, Oracle, like all- SQL Server. SQL Server, get a lot of SQL Server. So all of those things are source databases, but there are other uh, sources of data, uh, usually APIs. So a lot of SaaS uh, startup companies are using almost, you know, I would say 99% of SaaS startup companies are using Stripe. And so Stripe has a killer, fantastic API, very easy to pull data out of Stripe. Um, and you can pull that data out of Stripe and then put it into your data system, whatever, whatever you got. So typically people will do that and, uh, and pull data out of the application. They'll also pull data out of, out of Stripe and they'll marry those two. Now let's talk about another thing that most companies have. Most SaaS companies are using something like QuickBooks for their accounting or something, right? So QBO or whatever. Um, yep. and so you can pull data out of that as well. That's all, all, all of this is, is the data across the many systems that you have. And that is the idea behind these data systems, data warehouses and data lakes, both solve the problem of how do we query across multiple data sources that our company cares about. You know, one other source of data that we see frequently are things like Google Analytics or Microsoft Clarity. Started playing with Microsoft Clarity yep. <laughs> a few weeks ago, Ben and I did, and it was freaking awesome. Yeah, it's pretty slick. I like it a lot. Um, so I'm sure we'll do a podcast maybe about that at some point. But uh, yeah, but but that that is another source of data. Like, how are people interacting with your website, and you know, how do you track those people on through to becoming customers, to being paying customers, and all the way through? So many systems being touched by our customers, potential customers, leads, all of those kinds of things, and how do we put them all together? So that's the idea behind the data system. Now let's talk about what's the difference between data warehouses and data lakes. Data warehouses are older, okay? So let's start there. Data warehouses were sort of uh, started, you started hearing about them in the 80s. And there was a a guy named uh, Kimball. I'm looking back on my shelf. I've got the book, if you're seeing me, it's it's back here. But anyway. Chris Chris is surrounded by books. (laughs) The Kimball books were really good because this guy basically designed uh, a system for how do you extract this data out and then what format do you put it in so that it's easy to report on. And this is sort of the birth of the star schema. So if you've ever heard of star schema, or, uh, then you know, you're, you've heard of sort of some of the things that, that Kimball was talking about. When you build a data warehouse, you typically are pulling data out of its source and then you transform it with either code or a tool that does this. Uh, and then you put it into a new schema the schema it's going to land in, which just means the way the table is organized for non-technical listeners. I'm sure we have some just think about like an Excel doc and the way you would organize the columns in uh, maybe multiple worksheets of an Excel doc. Um, so this, that's what a schema would be. And so we, 
we design uh, these things and then we put them into a defined hard schema. That's where it goes. That's what a data warehouse does. Now, how do you know if you're doing a data warehouse or a data lake? Well, tooling is one part of it. So are, if, you, right. if you're using Amazon Redshift, for example, you've got a data warehouse. Um, there are some tools that sort of blend the, the difference between the two, um, but sort of outside of the scope of this, uh, this conversation. Uh, but if you're using something like AWS Lake Formation, you're using a data lake. Uh, Databricks has a tool has a, a tool for this also uh, for their their data lake solution. So there are there are data lake solutions that have data lake in the name. If it hits in the name, you're using a data lake. <laughs> if it's not, <laughs> you might be using a data warehouse. Okay, why is, why do we care about the difference between a data warehouse and a data lake? Well, let's start with this process of extracting the data out. That process in a data warehouse is called ETL: extract, transform, and load. So you extract the data from its source, you transform it into the new format you want it to be in, probably the actual schema that you want in a data warehouse, and you load it. All right, now this is the primary difference between a data warehouse and a data lake. So in a data lake, you still extract data from its sources, all of its various sources. You may have all the same sources that you had before, and you probably have more with a, with a data lake because the concept yeah. of a data lake is we don't need to define the schema. We don't need to define the how it's going to live whenever it's in its final source uh, or its final destination. We don't need to define that before we put it in the data lake. A data lake has different areas, and you drop the data into those areas un unchanged. Now, if you've done any amount of data work at all, then part of that that should be appealing to you <laughs> because. <laughs> ETL is known to screw up the data sometimes, right? If you touch it, if anything happens at all, you go pull a report and all of a sudden you have these records fanning out. You know, you've tripled the numbers or something uh, that, that are going on. And so uh, it's appealing to be able to pull the data out from its source and store it into the destination without making changes to it so that you can make changes to it in a different layer of the data lake. You can look at that extraction layer, which we call like layer one, and we can put that into, uh, you know, we could create views on that. That's one, one common use case. People will pull that data in, then they'll make views. Um, so the difference there is a data lake uses ELT, extract, load, transform. So it's just different order. And, and it, they use the same letters to be super confusing for people. <laughs> right? It's great. So that, that, that is the primary difference between uh, data warehouses and data lakes. Uh, data warehouses, the, the software that runs those tend to be a bit more expensive. Um, data lakes are trying very hard because of the amount of data that you're putting in there. Uh, data lakes uh, tend to run on software and hardware that's cheaper. One example of this would be with AWS. We tend to do AWS lake formation data lakes for companies that we work with. And part of the reason for that is the actual data destination is Amazon S3. It's like crazy cheap. Um, so it, it, yeah. it makes a huge difference that you could store all this data that way. And the data type- And, and querying is per query. Too, like as far as costs it's not just that's exactly cost to have it running it's exactly right yeah and and like you know so the let's talk about a little bit the type of data in a data warehouse 
the data really has to be in relational format, meaning you got to be able to fit it into rows and columns. Uh, you know, again, like a like spreadsheet. But in a data lake, it's very common to pull structured non-relational data. What does that mean? Structured non-relational data would be data that we don't put in rows and columns, and instead it's still structured and there's a common structure format. Typically what you see is data in JSON format. So if you store, you can store raw JSON data into a data lake and that is a perfectly fine thing to do. And there are ways to uh, flatten that data where you can turn JSON data into like a series of tables. Uh, and a lot of that is, is essentially uh, been taken care of by the support of the query tools themselves. So uh, we'll get into yep. that in a second, but I'm gonna take a breath and a drink. And yeah. <laughs> Ben, you, yeah, you should. You, uh, you've been doing a bunch of this the, stuff with uh, me. Give us a little, give us some Ben insights on what we've done so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that one of the reasons that lake formation has really been a tool of choice for us is the uh, ability to control the um, access to the different parties um, that are using the the data lake. Um, lake formation allows uh, to the row and to the column um, limiting uh, of data. Uh, so you have different personas that will use your data lake over time and lake formation has a set of permissions that you can build on top of IAM, which are just AWS permissions to limit access to columns in your data lake. And um, you can build it based off views and limit um, access on rows. So it's a very secure way um, if your uh, company has data that is PII um, and just need to limit that access. Um, all that stuff is hooked into uh, CloudTrail and that sort of thing. So you could um, build a logging audit trail uh, based on on that access um, lake formation and all those pieces are also very terraformable. Um, we're big fans of Terraform, um, and every lake that we have built uh, has been based off a set of Terraform. Uh, so I do a lot of the terraforming around here, so I really enjoy that experience. Um, so yeah, that's just a, a bit of of those pieces. Um, the the tools the toolscape is a lot of where I, my brain is as far as building the actual pipelines and. Uh, Putting putting the pieces together, um, uh, our most common tool that you'll hear Chris and I talk about is Pandas, um, which is the uh, Python uh, data analytics tool set for taking a whole bunch of what are called data frames or those rows and columns and doing that transform um, and data munging uh, in there. Um, AWS has their own tool set, uh, which is AWS Glue, but under the hood, it's using Scala um uh, or spark which is scala um and or you could also make it use python and use python spark uh PySpark. um so it, there's just a few different tools out there they're um all copying from each other uh over time but um you take those tools a lot of that has to do with the t part of etl um is a lot of that that munging and th stuff like that is happening in pandas um i think another tool uh that um will would be up next would be Presto, which is the actual query um, language that you would use in Athena. Um, and that uh, is being used to query the S3 data across those different partitions um, in your S3 bucket. And that allows you to build those flattened and relational style queries um, using SQL. 
um, and that's how you can store views um, and that sort of thing after the fact versus having to load it all and make all those decisions up front with like a warehouse. Well, and I think you're, you're totally right. Presto, Presto was a game changer for data lakes because it, it really gives you the ability. So, so what is Presto? Presto is an engine that allows you to write SQL queries and have it query all of that data in your data lake in all the different formats, including JSON format. You can do so many things with it. It is like a super advanced uh, set of, of SQL. And uh, for people that are coming from like ISO SQL, for example, uh, just like standard ISO mm. SQL, uh, it's not a very heavy lift. Uh, when I first started programming some uh, Presto SQL in, a th for in Athena, I thought it would take me a while to get it. It didn't. It, I mean, about a day, you know, you keep the Presto documentation up while you're doing stuff. Like, sure. how do I do this? How do I do that? Uh, fairly easy thing to do. So the tooling is a big deal. How you do the T part of the ETL or ELT uh, really depends on what it is that you're that you're doing. Uh, but I will say we've we have moved more people off of tools like DataBrew and even um, you know the Spark based stuff uh, just because it has a tendency to be extremely complex. And it's hard to find developers that really know how to do it. And it tends to be expensive to run. And so for all of those yeah. reasons, it's like way easier. Uh, and in the case of a data lake, you usually don't need, um, you don't need like a tool that's doing the transform reading and then writing the data because typically you're going to use Presto uh, or Athena to, um, you know, to, to, to write your views or to even materialize those views into a different area of the, of the data lake. But in the case of a data warehouse, um, in my opinion, the Python ecosystem is is the easiest way to go. I think that um, every choice is like, you know, pick the right tool for the job. I do think that there are some data sets that you probably do need the Spark Hadoop system that fans out compute across all these parallelized workers and you have to eat the cost because otherwise you would never get done with doing this transform in two and a half years because the data is so large uh but for those medium to medium big data sets i do i do think pandas um is the most straightforward and one of the things that i do think the lake helps with is they don't have to do it all at once um uh, like kind of chris was saying the the multiple layers so you could take you have a raw layer, and then you could take a, another um, uh, attempt at transforming it a little bit, um, building a next layer, and that could be done in um, in Athena, and uh, in, in our case, in writing views back or taking pandas, running a um, set of pandas queries to generate new uh, formatted files, save them to another prefix, and then run a crawler on them. And you can you can do that in a, a variety of different ways. And I think something that we were likely um going to talk about was the difference of uh not r quite real-time <laughs> processing but real-time-ish um and just kind of the differences of the two and why you would do yeah it's a, a good it's a great topic because i think everybody in the business world who who's you know is like i, I really want a good you know i want a data warehouse i want a data lake they all want it streaming real time as real time as possible and everybody wants that until they see the bill and the bill 
can kind of come in two forms. You know, it can be a cost for for setting it up, depending on how how real time you mean. But I the bill for streaming real time uh, data warehouses and data lakes uh, is really from the running cost in the cloud service provider. So even with very very cheap storage, like in the case of uh, a data lake with uh, S3, you still have uh, extremely high costs to run a real-time streaming data lake with one exception, uh, which is when you are essentially building uh, CDC processes, or change data capture, uh, which we can get into probably another time. I feel like we're, we're going to go a little long on data lakes and data warehouses <laughs> if, we, if we go down that road. But what, what I'll say is, you know, if you are feeding data into something like Kafka uh, or you are feeding data into something like Kinesis and using um, using uh, Kinesis Firehose to drop that in S3, you know, the cost can get really, really high. It depends on, you know, how many tables you're pushing in there. But but we had a customer who had a real-time streaming requirement um, or they thought they had a re real-time streaming requirement. And so we built this thing to uh, deposit the data inside of uh, under five minutes. Um, so from the point that the transaction occurred on the data uh, in the database itself, it was land, it had landed in S3 within five minutes. And uh, we built this solution. And then afterwards, the, the customers saw the bill for the running cost of AWS and was like, whoa, this is really high. And uh, we made some changes and, and, and basically determined that they had very, there was very little data that they needed to be that quick. Uh, not all of the data. And so, you know, it right. is an option, especially in data lakes. Uh, it's an option to build out um, certain tables, certain sets of data that you can have closer to real time and some data that could be entirely batch. And so you don't have to make a decision that all of your data is batch or all of your data is real time streaming. But in general, it is very much worthwhile for companies to think about, do I really need is there a business need for me to have this data inside of five minutes of it hitting, you know, the database? Yeah. Um, and I think that if, if it is, it really depends on at what stage this, that, uh, that a company is in the process of, of building the system. If it's a, if it's a new build and they know that they're going to have reporting um, implications long-term, I think choosing a data source that has certain um, capabilities for for real time, I think is is important. Um, I like uh, Dynamo, uh, DB, and AWS is, is really well built for the streaming concept due to the uh, event streams of, of data. So you literally can push any new insert or update information straight to Kinesis and um, transform it from there. Uh, really easy. Um, the uh, the other, the other more um, traditional databases, you just need to make sure, and you would have to have uh, either change data capture enabled uh, in in the different systems. Um, but it's just it's more processing for sure, more complications, more code, um, and and if anything, more code I, always leads to more problems. That, that's so at, that at is so point, true. So. I actually <laughs> think it's a big part of why the the. Uh, more complex setups on the streaming real-time stuff is is not worth doing because it's not just the, the running cost, it's also the cost to maintain. Um, you, the more layers you put in there, the more complicated it is. 
With something as simple as, you know, turning on change data capture or running a batch process once a day uh, to grab the data that you need and then, you know, refresh the, the data uh, inside of your data lake or data warehouse, you can keep the process really simple. And that's actually part of, of why I think it's important that uh, as you build out your transform process, wherever you do your transforming at, that you, you consider the fact that someone has to maintain it and that thing has to run regularly. And that means it needs to be monitored 24 seven probably. Yep. Uh, or, or, you know, again, if you're doing it in batch processing, it doesn't have to be monitored 24 seven, but you have to keep a very close eye on, on, that, uh, on that process. And, uh, and, and that will help to ultimately keep, keep the cost down. Now, once your data actually gets done with the ETL process, you actually have the ability to do the thing everybody wants to do. You can then dashboard it, you can report on the data, you can do any of the stuff that is actually extremely cool. One of the tools that we use quite a bit is Amazon QuickSight. Gives you the ability to drill down into different uh, visualizations of the data. Tableau's been around forever. It's a great tool as well. There are a lot of tools and that ecosystem is huge. The thing is, and this is something that I think people just tend to miss, that stuff is not super difficult to do. That is not a super difficult task to lay, to lay out dashboards and, and, and build the various things that need to be built from data visualization standpoint. The hardest part of the process is the ETL process. It's the design of how you're going to build that data flow from its source, all of its various sources, into the final destination. And so it takes a lot of thinking, a lot of work, a lot of planning to make sure that that gets done well. And then once you get it to its final place, you have a lot of options for how you're ultimately going to build out the data dashboarding, how you're going to present it, and how you do all that additional stuff. Yeah, the, there's um, a lot of data validation that goes into the the final process that is also i i think scripted and um validated by tools that all of that happens before it gets into a data analyst's hands to actually craft the visualizations um so the 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 dashboarding is the is the is what the uh, ceos see but is is like the last uh, you know two yards of of the project for sure. That is that is totally true. All right, man. I feel like we have beat the uh, data warehouse and data lake topic as far as we can. Yep. There are so many places we could go down, uh, and we won't do it on this podcast. But uh, hopefully, if you have any questions about uh, data lakes, data warehouses, reach out to us in the different uh, locations that we are on the internet, which would include our email, you can hit us up on our website. Uh, and I'm also starting to spin up Twitter a little bit. We'll see how that goes. Spin up the uh, we've got a Facebook page. We've got a LinkedIn page. Yep. Uh, so we're really starting to try to get in places where you can reach out and talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Have a good one.